0: Welcome to the Dreamcatcher Podcast, a place where your dreams can find a voice. I'm your host, Celine Chenoy. Thank you to all of you who return every week to tune in to become a better version of yourself. Make sure you hit subscribe if you haven't already and rate our show if you enjoyed this episode. We've been told that emotions are mostly problems, but nothing could be further from the truth. Emotions do not create problems. They contain the exact genius you need to solve those problems. My guest, Carla McLaren, believes that when we access the brilliant wisdom in our emotions, we can create a deeply meaningful, healing, and awakened life. Carla McLaren is an award-winning author, social science researcher, and empathy innovator. She is CEO of Emotion Dynamics Incorporated. Developer of Dynamic Emotional Integration and creator of Empathy Academy. Carla is the author of several books, including Embracing Anxiety and The Art of Empathy. In this interview, Carla will take us much deeper than naming or managing our feelings. She'll teach us to honor them, reflect on their questions, and incorporate their wisdom into our lives. Hey, Carla. How are you doing today? Good. How are you? I'm doing great. I appreciate you taking the time to be here to share your immense knowledge on all things emotions. We're
1: just excited about what you have to
0: share with all of us.
1: Oh, thank you. I'm so so excited to share things about emotions anyway. I love emotions.
0: Yes, yes. It's definitely apparent from your books and all the work that you do. So... (laughs) Yeah, and uh, I read your book, Language of Emotions, and it was a—it's—it was an eye opener. I learned a lot of new things, some of which really surprised me. For instance, I always thought that love was an emotion, but you say <laughs> it's not.
1: Yeah, well, I think for some people, love is an emotion, right? If they. It goes up and down, and it's like I'm I'm in love today. I'm not in love, la la la, and uh, it's not a very stable thing. For me, there's a stability to love that isn't like emotions because emotions they move, they they change with the weather. They, you know, they 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 come on strong or soft or do all sorts of things like that, and they recede once their work is done but for me, love doesn't do any of these things. It doesn't recede. It doesn't change with the weather. It's sort of this, um, uh, basically uh, for me, it's like a dedication to the soul of whatever I love to whether it's a person or a thing or an idea, it's a complete dedication to it. And it's different, very different from emotions.
0: Right. Yeah. That's a good explanation. Yeah. That makes sense now. So, Carla, your curiosity about emotions started in your early years. You say that you became aware of emotions and that they were healing vital forces. And you also developed hyper-empathetic skills, as you describe them. Uh, And you did that because you needed needed it to cope with a difficult early childhood. So how did you learn to tap into these skills and make them a strength, despite all the challenges that you faced.
1: Yeah, because in my early life with the the traumas that I experienced, um, turning up my empathy and my emotional awareness was a survival skill. It's so that I could, you know, this was a repeated ongoing situation. So I had to develop, um, I guess, sort of investigative skills (laughs) in how humans behave so that I could be as safe as I possibly could. But because I didn't know how I turned them on, I didn't know how to turn them off. So, in situations where I wasn't in danger, I still had that level of of emotional empathic awareness of what was going on, and it was pretty overwhelming. It was it was intense, and I also uh, dealt with a lot of rage when I was little, and I was very fortunate that my family allowed me to have it because most most little girls are talked out of their rage or shamed out yes. of their rage. So so for me, emotions were very intense. They were very um, kind of overwhelming. They were frightening. And so as I began to understand, I'm never going to be able to get away from these things. Um, so what are they for? Why are they here? What's going on? And that was the first sort of, you know, impetus to get me to study emotions is that they would not shut up. <laughs> in my own life. And I knew they must mean something or something was going on here. Yeah.
0: Okay. When did you start questioning your feelings and getting curious about what they're all about?
1: Probably when I was about four. Wow. I began, yeah, I began sort of studying emotions because humans confuse me so much and emotions confuse me so much that I started looking at, for instance, okay, category anger. When people are angry, what has happened and what are they doing? When when my cat is angry, what has happened and what is he doing? And when the horse is angry. So I began to sort of look at it almost sociologically, like when this category anger comes up, what is happening? And so I eventually did that with all of the emotions. With anger, it's always about a boundary, there's been a boundary crossed, and then the anger comes up, and then the boundary is addressed in some way. For many people, it's addressed very clumsily. For other people, it's addressed very badly. For other people, it's addressed in a violent way. But it's always about a boundary.
0: Interesting, interesting. And um, do people experience emotions differently, like at ver- like various intensities. Like you said, you felt them very deeply. Like you seem yeah. like you were very passionate about. So
1: do people have different temperaments? Yes. And people, people experience emotions very differently and they react to them very differently. So we can't say, okay, that's, Anger, I can understand there's a boundary that's been crossed, but then what the person learns to do or knows how to do with anger is very individual. And where they feel it, how they feel it, it's extremely individual as well. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, because I've noticed that some people are are able to really conceal how they feel. Like they seem really stoic. Like But you really don't know what's going on deep down inside. You know, it could be like a storm going on inside. So I think the way we feel it, feel emotions and the way we express them,
1: it varies tremendously. Yeah, it's very, um, there's a thing going around, I guess, Facebook where it's a picture of Human bodies in silhouette and it shows all kinds of different colors and like, this is anger and this is sadness. I mean, that is just nonsense. It's complete nonsense. I don't even know where it came from. Because, you know, in your own family, you can see that one person does anger this way and one person does anger that way. And one person is not very aware of anger and the other one is super aware. Do you know what I mean? It's like, you can't say this is what anger looks like. Mm.
0: And I can see that being a problem in relationships. Like, you know, if two partners express yes. anger differently. They can,
1: yeah, they can yeah, especially cross-culturally, yes, yeah share, yeah mm-hmm. that's sometimes it's very hard to read people mm-hmm. in you know who come from places that you don't have any experience with, right.
0: And you're right that emotions have been repressed, downplayed, mm-hmm. distrusted, over glorified, mm-hmm. and even despised for centuries. Mm -hmm. So Carla, why has it been so difficult for us to really understand our feelings and see the value in them?
1: I think two things. One is that because we are chased away from emotions, even when we're little, we're we're chased away from emotions like, oh, don't cry, don't cry. Or, um, you know, don't talk back to me, young man, that we're chased away from them. So we end up with very few emotional skills. So when an emotion comes up, we generally behave in an unhealthy way or an unfocused way. So people can very easily get the information that emotions are trouble, mm-hmm. right? We, we're told that they're not welcome, and then we don't develop skills. So whenever an emotion's there, we kind of look like fools, right? We're just, ah so, so, this sort of distrust of emotions, there's a lot of data, right? There's a lot of social data that tells us, yeah, emotions are no good they're they're not good yeah the the other thing, which is a kind of a deeper underlying thread that I'm seeing is that we understand emotions now as the um the generator of consciousness. They underlie all of our thoughts, all of our behaviors, all of our actions. Um, Emotions um, underlie how we vote. They underlie how we respond to political leaders. They underlie how we choose our mates, right? So, emotions are incredibly powerful underlayment of human nature. And what I'm seeing is that if we don't give people the awareness of their own emotions and the skills they need, they're very easy to manipulate. So when people say we're not going to have emotions, or we're not going to have this emotion, I always look for the social control, and it's always there. (laughs) So it's, you know, there's two pieces to it. Um, If you can control a person's emotions, you can control the person.
0: Like, for instance, Stoic scientists, a lot of them say that you should be careful of emotions. Emotions are yeah. to be – you should be careful of them, basically. Yeah. And that you should not you should not trust them and you should rely on logic more. Um, yeah. So you don't agree with but that. But they're not
1: wrong. They're, they're not, not wrong. wrong. We've all seen people with their emotions behave yeah. like absolute monsters, right? Yes.
0: Yes, I the, mean, you could even s- kill someone when you're in the fits of rage. And I mean, that's, of course, extreme, yeah. an extreme case, but...
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so so they're not wrong, but they are blaming the wrong thing. Uh, the emotions are just what they are. It's people's skills with emotions that they're looking at right. and not seeing. They're not able to, like, I'm like, use your logic, pal separate the emotion from the person's skill with the emotion, right? Because if you see someone who's skilled with emotion, Mm -hmm. you may not even identify it as an emotion. So with anger, if I set a boundary and I know what I'm doing, I don't need to hurt anybody or myself. I just set a boundary and that's anger. And a lot of people wouldn't even know it was anger. They would have no idea that anger just happened in the room Mm -hmm. because all they see is people going, why I, uh, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Um, yeah. So I think, I think, and the funny thing is that logic is built on emotion. Oh, really? And, and you, wouldn't, okay. right. The, the thing is like, there's logic and emotion and, and logic is way up here in the stratosphere of greatness and emotion is down here in the garbage, but um, logic is predicated on emotion. ha ha. ha. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's well, that's why you, you, you clear that up in your book. You say emotions do not create problems. They contain the genius. You need to solve them. Um, yes. and, um, so you're saying sometimes it's better to have some distance from your feelings and rely more on your analytical side.
1: Right. Well, I think one of the things that we look at is uh, the different levels of emotions. So they're soft or medium or intense. Each one has a purpose, right? When someone steps over a boundary and, you know, is very insistent about it, then I'm going to need more anger, right? So it's going to be okay there if I have more anger. I still need skills with it. And I can say, hey, I said no three times. Now what the heck's going on here? Because this is what I said, right? That's more anger. But, um, it's not so much analytical skills that I need as emotional skills, um, to understand the emotion, to know how to work with it, to know what its purpose is, and then to help it achieve its purpose. And then the emotion will step back, not, it won't ever go away because it's a part of our basic cognitive function, but, um. Yeah, I think there's, you know, when people say, let's get analytical, what they mean is let's pretend that we're not being emotional right now. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. How about if we don't pretend? How about if we deal with the emotion as it is and figure out what it's trying to do? Yeah.
0: Yeah. So what you're saying is don't ignore it. Don't repress it. Bring it up and process it. See what's going on. Yeah. Know
1: what it's doing. Know why it came forward. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And uh, you actually created a model for us to be able to, you know, do that, to go through that process. And you call it the four keys to emotional genius. Um, Could you please give us an overview of these four keys?
1: These are the four. When I first introduced them, I called them the four problems that get in the way of emotional awareness. Okay. But we turned them into the four keys. Like we, you know, we flipped the script and... The first one is that there are no negative emotions and there are no positive emotions. And this is sort of a, the key because if we're taught to see emotions as negative and positive, we immediately become less emotionally functional because the negative emotions category is huge. I look at a model of 17 emotions and 14 of them are negative. You know, they would be called negative the entire fear family, the entire anger family, the entire um, sadness family. There's only three that are called positive, and that's happiness, contentment, and joy. But these emotions have very specific purposes, just like anger does, just like any of the other emotions do. And they cannot possibly help us run our life because we're only using like 17% of the emotions if, if we believe that. But when an emotion is negative, what people tend to want to do is not have it, which means they don't develop any skills with it. And if it's positive, they want to have it all the time, which is an abuse of those emotions that we've identified as positive. So just taking that idea out, there's no negative or positive emotions. You become more um, emotionally intelligent, like immediately. (laughs) So that's what we want.
0: But like, Carla, in the moment, if it really feels painful, like something, if you feel triggered and it comes from a really deep wound from your past, in that moment, it can feel, it can feel like you just don't want to deal with it because pain can be so acute, especially if it's, you know, a trauma victim. In that case, how can one remain cognizant of the fact that, no, this is not not a negative emotion. I I need to stick with it and see what's going on.
1: Yeah, I think understanding, you know, each of us has our own kind of emotional landscape and understanding what our emotions are saying. So, for instance, if we have a flashback or if something brings us back to a time in our lives when we were powerless or being injured, there's a purpose to that, which is the, the psyche as a whole needs to revisit those points. Points at which we were overwhelmed, mm-hmm. so that we can develop skills in the future and uh, reclaim the resilience that we that we need. Knowing that that's true, that we were overwhelmed, we were injured. There was inequality. There was injustice. And I think a lot of people have been taught that resilience is um, being up tempo and happy. You know, happy crappy, <laughs> <laughs> but. But what it is for me is an understanding of the reality of evil in the world, and then my decisions about who I will become in the face of it. And if I don't look at my emotions, if I don't listen to the panic or the rage or the anxiety that come up, um I'm missing a huge um, um, opportunity for growth, for evolution, and for um, a kind of making sacred what had happened. And I think that's missing in a lot of current um, trauma healing modalities today is they just want to get rid of those emotions. And the emotions are what come to heal the problem. So in, in a lot of ways, we're being, again, moved away from emotions f- for a, a reason that I um I don't know how to say this. Um, <laughs> we're being made shallow. Yeah. Yeah. And do you think shallow. it's
0: because we're living in an age of social media and, you know, we want quick fixes and
1: things like that. Do you think yeah. that, that
0: might be impacting us?
1: I think, I think you're right. Yeah. I think there's a lot of, you need to feel better. Yeah. You need to feel happy. You need to feel mm. tempo. Yeah. And so that positive and negative overlay on the emotions is very much a part of that social control because one of the things about the negative emotions is they all um they all request change and the positive emotions are okay with how everything is right that's what that's what the positive emotions do they're like this is nice yeah this is great yeah and sometimes that's really appropriate, but there are a lot of things, especially as we're looking around us ourselves at the political state of the world. Yeah. There's a lot of not okay right now. Right. And right. It's, it's really interesting that there's so much of psychology and the healing that's like wanting us to just be okay. Yeah. Positive psychology. Right. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's not okay. It's not y'all. okay. Yeah. It's not okay. Yeah. I mean, I first learned about the value of pain from, um, I don't know if you, if you know the Buddhist teacher, Pema Chodron, Mm -hmm. she speaks a lot about the value of pain and just sitting with it and really allowing yourself to be immersed in it and befriending it. And so that you can actually understand what's happening and, and how that is the key to healing and really getting a deeper sense of who you are and your journey.
1: Yeah, because the pain is so instructive. It's, it's. It's my pain. It's a pain that I'm feeling it has meaning to me or, you know, the intrusive thoughts. Those are important. They're saying something and sometimes they're saying it in a way that's very confusing. So I need to sit with it for a while. It's like, what is that? Um, uh, you know, we're sort of mysteries wrapped up in enigmas. And sometimes emotions and thoughts and pains are the only ways that we can speak to ourselves. True. Second (laughs) is to understand that emotions arise at different levels of activation, right? So most people think of anger and they think of rage, and there's so many gradations of anger. And this is really important, uh, for instance, with anger or anxiety or panic, if your organism somehow learned to do anger at 11 and anxiety out of 10 and anxiety at 15 and panic at 9,000, part of your work is to understand panic at 10, at one, and then to try to work with it before it needs to get to this massive flowering of that emotional expression. So understanding emotions at different levels of activity can really help you learn how to work with them more um, effectively. Um, for, For instance, a lot of people would say, you know, I'm never angry, but they get to this place and they boil over. Because they didn't even realize that when I was peeved or irritated or, you know, I was a little bit sarcastic, I was dealing with anger then. They don't see it when it's lighter than that. Um, The third is that it's normal for emotions to work in pairs and groups and clusters because they're aspects of intelligence. Um, The more, the merrier. But if you don't have skills with them and you don't know what they're doing, it may feel like you're being attacked. Right? You're like, I was just walking along the street and then these five emotions came and they'd attacked me. Um, but at this point, I'm like, bring it emotions. I want more emotions. Where's my panic? Where's my depression? Let's go. Um that 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 it's normal for them to to work together. Can you give an um, example of when that can happen? Um I was thinking of the pandemic and I don't know how it is in Dubai, but we're having another COVID surge here. And so we didn't stop masking. We haven't had COVID yet in our whole, I have a four person pod and we've never had it. So we've maintained our, our, our awareness. And what I noticed in the pandemic is I needed three emotions that most people avoid, which is fear, anxiety, and panic to be, uh, available to me at all times. And for a lot of people, those three emotions, which needed to be present were overwhelming. And they were like, I don't need to wear a mask. This is all just ridiculous. We're being lied to by the government, right? They, they went a different direction. And fear is the emotion that helps you remain, uh, very intuitive and aware of the present moment. Anxiety is the emotion that helps you look toward the future and prepare yourself. And panic is the emotion that saves your life when your life is literally in danger. All three emotions were necessary throughout the pandemic. And because my pod has practices for these emotions and knows how to identify them and work with them together, we were fine. We didn't go into you know, QAnon, right? We didn't go into uh, making up stories about anything. We just stayed stable and maintained our awareness. So when we would go out to the supermarket, we'd have our fear working in the present moment, making sure that we had enough space around ourselves. We had anxiety. It had prepared us to go to the market. Um, we had our mask. We knew what we were doing, right? Right. Um, and we had panic, which was always there saying, this is a deadly, COVID's deadly. People are dying. So keep your wits about you, right? And so working with those three emotions was, um, was easy for us. Yeah, great example. Yeah. Um, and then the fourth is learn how to channel emotions. And I don't mean like channeling dead people. It's channeling things along the path that they meant to take so with anger for instance uh the channeling would be to set a boundary because that's what anger is doing with fear it would be to maintain a, an intuitive instinctual sense of my surroundings with anxiety it would be preparing for the future with panic it would be making sure am i safe am i in literal danger of losing my life um and so with those emotions i'm knowing what the emotions do, I'm doing the actions that would support the intelligence in that emotion. And that way, my emotions and I are friends. And when they show up, I can say, hey, what do you need? (laughs) Let me see what I can do for you. (laughs) But how do we gain the
0: knowledge on how to process these emotions? Because we don't learn this in school. And not all of us have Caretakers or parents who were conscious enough to uh, teach us about about yeah. how to manage our emotions. So, uh, what do we do? Like, how do we know whether what we're doing is right? You can get my book. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the chances are people listening to this are pretty self aware already. The kind of people yeah. who tune into this kind of podcast. But you know, if they yeah. want to help their friends or their family or their kids. Yeah, what would you suggest besides your book?
1: Well, one one of the best things is there's been a lot of research recently about uh, an emotional vocabulary, and they're finding that developing a stronger emotional vocabulary, which would mean you know that anger is also sarcasm and peevishness and this, and then it moves up, right? To have a strong emotional vocabulary gives you emotion regulation skills. All by itself. Yeah, because if you can name it, you can understand yeah. it. Yeah. You can know what's happening. Can- this is especially important for anxiety and panic because many people who are feeling those emotions go to the emergency room thinking they're having a heart attack. Right? Yes. So so that you know it's like that level of not knowing what emotions are. Mm-hmm. That that people can't even identify a physical. Uh, versus emotional response to something so I have a free emotional vocabulary list on my site and it's something that is really helpful just to be able to look at it and say how am I feeling and finding the word you're like that's what I am yeah I'm dejected you know (laughs) I'm dejected and you can walk around the house (laughs) look at me in my dejection yeah Um, but just saying it seems to settle the whole organism. Mm. So now your body knows, oh, I'm not hungry. <laughs> right. I'm not being chased by lions. I am dejected. dejected. Right. Yeah.
0: So having, yeah. having having the right word. Yeah.
1: Having yeah. So having the right words. It's huge. And they're also finding that um what's called a granular emotional vocabulary, which is you you get to the grains of the emotions and not just mm. rage. It's all the different colors, is having heart and brain protective effects. And and I would say it's maybe because you're not flying all over the place wondering what's happening to you, that you're more able to settle into the reality of what you're feeling. Mm.
0: And is it true that there are some languages that have a richer uh, vocabulary when it comes to
1: feelings and emotions.
0: Yeah. Cause I know there's one. Yeah. Yeah. Like for instance, Greeks, they have like seven different words for love or.
1: Yeah. And I think that's why language is so important. I think there's a, there was some research on uh, Russian language speakers who have many names for blue. Whereas Mm -hmm. in English you might have light blue, dark blue. Right. And shown a spectrum of blue, the Russian speakers could see more blue, right? Where people would be like, well, it's kind of a dark, 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 dark black. Whereas the Russian speakers had this is this blue, this is this blue, this is this blue. So having language means you can see more colors of blue and having language means you can feel more, um, much larger range of emotion.
0: Yeah, I know there's a German yeah. word for uh, the feeling that you get when you take delight in someone's misfortune. I cannot. I love it. I cannot pronounce it for the life of me. It's, But you know what I'm talking
1: about, right? Schadenfreude. Schadenfreude. Exactly. Yeah, it's like savage glee at the misfortune of another. What a beautiful
0: <laughs> And we know we've all felt that at some point. Come on. Just, we've just all admit all felt it, everyone. It. Thank, you,
1: <laughs> Thank you, Germans. Thank for, you, Germans. Thank you for creating that word.
0: <laughs> okay, Carla, one more thing I want to touch on is. Another model that you introduce in the book, it's called the four element or the quaternity model. Mm -hmm. Um, And I personally really like this one because um, it has like mythological and poetic origins. And plus, they do use the four elements in astrology. And I have a pretty, pretty good knowledge of astrology. So I could understand it instantly. But how does knowing these four elements help us with getting insight into our feelings and yeah, just understanding them better?
1: I I brought in the elemental model because I noticed, like you were talking about the Stoics, saying we want to get away from emotion and be in logic. And that's what we've heard from a lot of places. I grew up in the um, American new age spirituality everybody has their own new age uh, this was like northern california american new age spirituality. the but 70s is it the 70s mm, yep okay 70s yeah.
0: and mm-hmm. 80s there we go yep.
1: you got mm-hmm. it yeah yeah um and so for us it was we were spirits and that was the truth of us and our bodies were kind of a thing that we visited while we were incarnating right emotions in particular, took quite a hit in our belief system because they were kind of connected to the body, right? So the spirit was what you wanted to be. The intellect, whatever. The body, hmm, the emotions, no, right? So I went from that world into the skeptical world, which is the Stoic world, and they were very um, intellect overall. Intellect, there is no spirit intellect is everything emotions are trash right so there's a lot of ways where the emotions are trash and the elements are spirit is fire um intellect is air emotions are water the body and the physical world is earth right i noticed that in many of these systems the emotions got kicked out of the window and like get out <laughs> um, and I saw that in each of them, the the imbalance was so extreme. Um, In the New Age world, because emotions are disallowed, you've never seen so many emotionally disrupted people. (laughs) It's just so bad. And in the skeptical, you know, atheist, thinky-thinky world, same thing. The same problems, it just, they'd explain it differently, right? Mm -hmm. So, and then understanding emotions as the water nothing can live without water. You know, the reason life exists on this planet is water. Um, We are mostly water. And so if we turn away from the water element, which is emotions, we're turning away from what makes us alive. Yeah.
0: Right. And I love how you say that sometimes we need to, knowing these elements, by knowing that we, we can find like coping mechanisms that are specific to, to whatever we're feeling, you know, if you're feeling sad, maybe we need more fire, maybe we need more water and you give like several techniques and several activities that we can, we can partake in for each element. Yeah. And I found that yeah. particularly helpful. Yeah. So, Carla, it's been great talking to you. Um, I think that the work you're doing is really important considering the rise in mental health challenges that we're facing in our society. And people really need to have more knowledge and tools to regulate their interior world. And uh, books like yours is really going to help with that. Thank you. All right. So I just want to let everyone know, whoever's listening, if you're interested in knowing more about Carla's work and if you want to purchase her book, The Language of Emotions, um, it is available in any bookstore or you can visit her website, carlamcclaren.com. The link will be in the description. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed what you just heard, please subscribe to my podcast and feel free to share it with your friends and family. Take care and speak soon.